Black Lives Matter is a movement about the liberation of Black folks nationally and worldwide, but it's also a coalition movement, right? For anything, basically, we talk about education is going to be the answer mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. He says, you know, empathy has a shelf life, but compassion is forever. Sensations that spread uh, experiences, which is, it's even more powerful than an idea, I think. If you combine those things together, it's just, there's no stopping that. Welcome to the Theater Art Live podcast, and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna Robb. This is one of our special episodes. Today, we are starting a conversation with Victor Garnier and Regan P. Mitchell, where we approach the Black Lives Matter within the live entertainment community. Victor is an experienced producer, production stage manager, and road manager. His work spans several decades developing projects in different industries, including music, theater, contemporary circus, and corporate events. He spent 15 years in Asia and has worked in all continents for companies such as Cirque du Soleil, Franco Dragon Entertainment Group, GSMA, Mobile World Congress Barcelona, SET, Sense Venetian Macau Limited, among others, as well as in entrepreneurial environments. He has recently relocated to Spain. Regan Patrick Mitchell is a faculty member of the Division of Liberal Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. He is a musician and a theorist focusing on ethnic studies, black diaspora studies, critical race theory, critical geography and sound studies. He's widely published in academic journals, including the Journal of Curriculum and Pedagogy, Journal of Curriculum Theorizing, Philosophy of Education Society Yearbook, and the International Journal of Curriculum and Social Justice. As a saxophonist, he has performed throughout Louisiana, Tennessee, Colorado, New York, Ohio, North Carolina, and South Carolina, along with recording as a soloist, composer, slash arranger, and accompanying musician. Welcome, guys, to the show. Thank you for really joining us on a very um, important topic. And before um, we get started with the tough questions, can you please uh, maybe start with you, Victor, about where you're at and what you're doing, uh, and, and then we'll move on to Reagan. Okay, yeah. So I guess in short, uh, it's 2020. I work in entertainment, and things are looking really uh, funky at this point in time. So uh, all I'm, all, mostly what I'm doing, it's, it's uh, pre-production pre for projects. Uh, I'm doing two main things, an audiovisual project, pre-production for next year. And then I'm booking actually a tour from an artist, a musical artist, also for next year, even though we don't know if next year is going to be on, but uh, we still have to act as if it would. Keep the hopes high. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and Reagan, where are you at right now? <laughs> that's very, that's very hard, <laughs> very challenging, expansive book. But I'll keep this as short as possible. I uh, I recently uh, just re relocated to uh, Winston Salem, North Carolina, where again I took the position. Uh, I was hired for the position in uh, the Division of Liberal Arts. So right now, at this point, a lot of what I'm doing is I'm really trying to make sure you know I teach in the humanities, particularly I teach. Uh, there, of course, there's some core courses such as uh, first-year seminar, um, self-society and cosmos, but also I've been involved in being able to actually um, build certain courses. So one of the courses that I really, that was one of my first babies, that I would say, at, uh, 
at the university was a Black Diaspora Studies course. So, and I should say, like specifically, one of the things that I'm in, that I that I come at with thinking about education is really understanding first and foremost that a lot of the, a lot of these issues in the broadest senses are very much an, uh, an educational issue, right? And specifically, I'm very fascinated when we think about Black folks, right? We think about in the diaspora. When I talk about the diaspora, the Black diaspora, I'm talking about not only nationally but worldwide, right? How do we necessarily begin to think about sort of these larger uh, curricular systems of being, knowing, and doing? You know, so this is what I really what I'm fascinated in. This is really what I talk about. This is what's the stuff that I try to bring to uh, the university, and particularly in the classroom. And uh, well, we've been uh, going a little bit onto the topic. Mm-hmm. Before I start asking questions, unrelated questions, <laughs> Black Lives Matter started as a movement in 2013 after the murder of Trayvon Martin, and then uh, it picked up some moment again now in after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Can you guys tell us a little bit more about the movement and what is Black Lives Matter? Um, Reagan, I'll 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 defer to you. Maybe if you're okay with that. Because uh, Black Lives Matter is a movement that started over there in the States, so I think it's maybe a good starting point, and it takes very different shapes here in Europe. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I think uh, first and foremost, I think it's I think it's important that we understand uh, Black Lives Matter as really a, a really a coalition movement, right? And I would even for, and I always venture back further because you you know you listen to the development of, of Black Lives Matter, I think one of the things is perhaps one of the most important things that we take on is that really this is a very, very, uh, this is a very, even though we understand it under the guise of Black Lives Matter, this is very much a movement that is a very ancient movement, right? I think as long as we think about the history of what has been the treatment of Black folks, uh, nationwide, it's been very much, well, first of all, we understand as a national movement, but we also understand as a transnational movement, right? So I think it's really important and very enriching that we're having this conversation, that we're having this conversation from, about Black Lives Matters and very much uh, have what it means to understand it along uh, boundaries or state-sanctioned boundaries <laughs> of sorts, right? But Black Lives Matter, in all in all, I would say is, is a, it's a coalition movement. Right, it's a coalition movement that's very much looking at. That's very much a critique on uh, how we historically understand black movements, right? And also, really much more of a discussion of really thinking about very much the complexity, the complexity that does uh, affect affect black folks. But also, what is it necessarily? It's also a deeper question about thinking about what does it mean to really get into this process of world building, do equity building, right? So I'm thinking about, as I say this, one of the things that's really powerful when we talk about these movements is really historically and sort of of, sometimes sort of the beef that you go through when you're in like Africana studies departments or you talk about black studies departments, really this whole discussion of how we've talked about black history has very much been rooted, it's very much, first of all, it's rooted in uh, a narrative of enslavement. Right. Not saying that that's the only discussion, but that's part of it. Right. So and also it's always a discussion about it's always always a discussion about colonization of America's sorts. Right. So um, I think one of the things that's really powerful about Black Lives Matter is really it's 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 of now, but it's also uh, it is also a deep reflection and reflexivity on the history. And also it's very much a dream. It's very much a movement of dreaming. 
right? A dreaming of what is it, what does it necessarily mean to imagine sort of this future and have this sense of futurity as we progress into thinking about the now and what does it necessarily mean to get get towards a liberatory space for black people, but also thinking about the process of what does it mean to build coalitions in the process of building these deeper, um, this deeper equity building worldwide, right? So Black Lives Matter is not something that's meant to sit exclusively within talking about black folks, but it's like, as I, the part of the thing that I think is powerful is like, okay, so what does it necessarily mean for all, so all chocolatized communities to get free, right? Black Lives Matter takes on this whole point of thinking about what does it mean to talk about this whole point of thinking about the notion of ability, the notion of ability, right? What qualifies as, a, as an able-bodied person, right? And how, what is the hegemony around body, right? What does it mean to, and first and foremost, what does it mean to really take like these very ancient conversations of black feminism, right? And really sort of, and really unfold them in a different way, which is, I think, is the power, really the power we understand when we think about our, our founders, like Alicia Garza, right? They're t- picking up these very ancient ideas and these very, these very much these organizing um, ideals that were very much in their ancestors, in the ancestors of Black women, right? I think that's another thing to really think about uh, Black Lives Matter. So it's a very, it's a very ancient movement, but it's also very much a point, a movement of dreaming about these processes of equity building in the present, right? What does it mean? And, and I would say even interesting, what's even more interesting, like, I think that the, to really kind of rock with what you were talking about, the cultural change, I would also tap back in thinking that the cultural, that when we talk about cultural change, it's so many other things, right? Because it's simultaneously like this whole process of existence, but it's also this whole point of how do we necessarily think about policy, right? So if, we do, so if you look at specifically Black Lives Matter, you understand, and particularly you think about some of the offshoots, like thinking about Black Fu- the Black Futures Lab, right? That's very much a policy organization. That's very much organization that's very much built around thinking about voting policy, really thinking about uh, really the disparagement and inequity that is really affected uh, of black folks, particularly around uh, incarceration. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, you should really check out really this. But so all in. It's so huge. <laughs> the list exactly. is huge. So, but, but I would say first and foremost, just to come circle back around, Black Lives Matter is a movement about the liberation of black folks nationally and worldwide, but it's also a coalition movement, right? So the thing about it, like, I always think it's fascinating. And I think the beautiful thing about it is, okay, like, for instance, like, you show up, you think about, like, just local organizing here in North Carolina, right? You show up, now, if you show up at Siembra, right, Siembra in North Carolina, right, you also see a lot of, you see, you see black folks, people, black folks, uh, Black Lives Matter people showing up, right? At the same time, you show up with the Poor People's Campaign, right, which started by King, right? Then you see folks from Black Lives Matter, right? So understand it's a coalition in so many, in the strongest sense. I just wanted to add that Siembra, North Carolina is a group, for what I understand, it's mostly made out of Latino, but they deal with immigration mm-hmm. issues in the state of North Carolina. And they have been very supportive of the Latino community. So Victor, how does that, how's that manifested over in Spain and, and has it maybe pre-George uh, Floyd and then post-George Floyd? Obviously, the George Floyd situation has ignited certain movements globally and, and I'd just like to hear from your perspective because it's nice to see what, what that's ignited around the world. So tell us about that. Yeah, definitely the the George Floyd, uh, I don't know how to call it, episode. It seems like, anyway, um, 
sparked a lot of discussion, a lot of energy towards the the, the movement. It's uh, it's nice to hear from you, Reagan, uh, talking about and describing Black Lives Matter because I think there's a lot of one. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of conflicting opinions all around, and um, and of course in Europe, it's 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 also the same. So. Hmm. Black Lives Matter. Uh, for uh, of course, we we have we have been aware in in Europe and Spain of the movement for quite a while, but somehow it's it's popularly to to call it in some way being seen as something very uh, uh, American, North American based, very U.S. based. Uh, something like yeah, racism is something that happens in the U.S. and and all of that, especially because. Yeah. Europeans, Spanish people, and uh, uh, and Europeans, uh, we love to say no. We're not racist here. We are very I inclusive and very tolerant. And, and yes, it's true in some aspects, of course. Uh, but uh, definitely, all the difference, all the differences in between the individuals are always. Uh, somehow frowned upon and 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 black people and afro -des descendants are no less of that maybe in europe uh a particularity that 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 happens here maybe it's the fact that uh, as there might not be as many black people as in the states there's many more muslim people so a little bit of that uh, get switched into the Muslim communities, a little bit of that feeling. And that's why in the article I wrote for for the website, I was talking about Black and Afro-descendant. I don't know if you use that distinction in the States as well. Um, but that's the way I, 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 I saw it was relevant to, to present it because of this reason. Um, but uh, anyway, actually, today I was reading, uh, I was reading an article of, on the economies precisely about uh, Black Lives Matter and racism in Europe. And they were basically saying this that I'm bringing up that, uh, that in Europe, racism has been something that has never or seldom been in the forefront, even though it happens every day, maybe because of a matter of numbers, like I was saying. But it is there. It is there. And there's a lot of people that, 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 uh, that uh, experience those things maybe it's uh, possibly in many cases and in many situations in much more subtle and sophisticated ways that that sometimes we see happening in the states is there a coalition in terms of like is there people forming committees to to work against that in your part of the world or is it more just a reflection of what's happening in the states uh, little by little, little by little, uh, people are getting a little bit more organized, and 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 certain organizations are making the voices heard. It's definitely maybe not as strong a movement as in the states, but uh, little by little, and especially after this George Floyd incident, people are starting to speak up a little more, and discussions are uh, held more often dissenting voices are coming up it's 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 interesting it's interesting uh, last week i posted the article i wrote in in theater art life website and on facebook 
And of course, I had a lot of friends who were like, yeah, this is a great article. Thanks for that. La, la, la. And there were also a lot of people who immediately, as, as you know, how, how, how social networks uh, work, immediately jump into the, the, the conflict wagon. No? I mean, comments of the type of uh, Black Lives Matter is a racist movement. And, uh, and, and things like that. And things like that, that is like, I mean, I don't know. For me, it's, no, there it's was. Hard. I, 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 I literally followed that. I followed that thread, and I obviously, as as the managing director of the the website, I'm not gonna. I, I observe a lot of the um, uh, social media, whether it be positive or negative, for feedback. I think it's a good. Yeah. It's a good platform to sort of understand, and then also. If I feel obviously not on that platform, there needs to be a diffusion of the subject than if I feel like I could diffuse the thing. And a lot of the time, and maybe I will revert back to Reagan in terms of maybe your thoughts on this, for me it's about education, right? Like a lot of the people that would make a mass assumption about what Black Lives Matter may not actually know. And, I, I, again, I refer to Reagan's version of it's a coalition and and and. And people have got to really understand what are those systemic ingrained things that they are not aware of that put them in a more um, advantageous position over people who are of colour. And I think that's really to really start to understand. And I really love it, especially in the entertainment industry, because if you look at, say, you know, what stories are getting told? Is it the white person's stories with white producers, with white directors? And, you know, and so, like, uh, breaking that apart and, and seeing that systemic structure and it's not a not a and the biggest thing is not it's not really against the white people it's just that it's not inclusive of everybody that's around in the community so again I'm not the expert but I, I feel like Reagan do you want to sort of put like what what does lo- local organizations do and and what is the ways and what's the roadmap towards one making people aware educating them and then shifting that perception of the black lives movement well, I mean, if we could just iron out hegemony altogether, then that would solve it all. But since that's, you know, since that's not, you know, quite, since it's, you know, not what's in style for a lot of people. <laughs> what else? I mean, what, I mean, what I say is that, um, I think one of the beautiful things that we're all talking about or the tension that we're talking about is really this idea of incremental change, right? So I think that there is, I think when we, and I think we, once again, you look at, you look at some of the history of movements, right? You look at like people that have done this work, right? You look at like what we're, how we're learning, right? We learn that really this idea of, of incremental change is like deeply, deeply embedded in the commitment, but also understanding that it's not necessarily, necessarily something that we know. You know, it's just all of a sudden, you know, it is done. You know, I mean, I, I, would, I would argue even further. I think one of the things that's really what's important about Black Lives Matter is really as it as it becomes this whole uh, locus, this analytical locus or loci to really kind of push and say, I mean, like there's like been a continuum of the of, of problems that have been occurring, right? And I mean, like now if I talk about it from the the standpoint of being uh, black, uh, black, queer, and from a Southern space, right? What does this necessarily mean that, this gives me a very specific understanding of what 
has going on and really which voices get left out and intentionally railed out, you know. And, you know, so there's, so one, I'm, I'm kind of doing this broader maybe historiography or whatever of sorts to kind of say like, these, these are the contexts that we're facing. Now, how does, now, if you were to say like, well, what's the roadmap? I don't know. I don't know if there's necessarily a roadmap as much as there is commitment, right? I don't know if there's necessarily a roadmap as much as there is uh, a commitment to equity. You know, and I've been, I was having actually I was having the same time, right? Like, what does it mean to really like really be engaged in equity, in equity, right? Because I think a lot of times people, we, a lot of times there's like this fundamental thing where we think that it's somehow we su- supplement equity with equality. Right, you can just flip flop that, and it's like no, 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 not at all. Actually, equity is like that's some, that's some, that's a hard. That is something like you know you need to actually come up off a lot, right? And there's really like this whole accountability, right? This whole different sort of accountability. So one, you start. I mean, like if you start talking about this is why once again why I'd say the whole coalition element is really important to understand. Like you start understanding what this whole point of equity comes in, then it's like, okay, if you're talking about just like, you know, you know, North America, then it's like, okay, that means, you know, we got to, people got to come up off indigenous land, <laughs> right? You know, like if we start talking about these, these points of equity, then we got to start, then we start, then people got to start pulling uh, interstates out of these, in, out of these uh, neighborhoods, right? If we, you know, the list keeps on going, right? So there's like this whole point where we talk about, where I talk about the reflective, but then the reflexive, right? I think the reflective elevates this whole situation that we understand very, that we understand like, as you, as you, as, as y'all, as you have brought up uh, Anna and Anna, this whole point of like, where, you know, where do we go from here? I think there's like, that, I think that there's definitely that point of the reflexivity that comes in, Right. There's the point of the reflexivity that comes in. The more there's the point of the reflection where we say, "Oh my gosh!" Like there is like sort of this web of problem of the problematic, right? But I think that there's something really powerful about the reflexivity because it's like, what does it mean to what is how do we get changed through that, and how do we necessarily even beyond the change, how do we begin to understand that as sort of a praxis, right? So, and this is once again when we talk about. Any sort of, I think when you talk about black movements, especially when you talk about Black Lives Matter, especially when you talk about movements undergirded, and that I would always, and I would always argue to, I'm blue in my face, in the face. I argue, and I argue this with other other black scholars. I said, I think you got to understand first and foremost, it's all all these things, ideas about movement building that we have, especially in the states. It's always going to be a black feminist queer. <laughs> it's ethos and ethic that undergirds us getting this, right? Understand King is powerful because women picked him to push that cause forward, right? And it's like, and it, but the thing is, it's always about, for me, it's always about thinking about the radical black, radical black queer feminists, right? Thinking about, and thinking about how that works and really how that's undergirded this movement, right? So I think that there's one thinking about sort of the con thinking about what the continuum is that we've existed in, but I think there's also a point in thinking about how it is that we've tem- what it means to live in now with this with with this, and then it's sort of that point of the reflection and the reflexivity within this context 
it helps us really begin to think about like what is how where's where do we step next but this is the whole thing like i think that that is like a very that is a messy thing that is a messy painful but important but a very important you know conversation i think the bigger issue is that there's like this whole there's this whole way that we're that people create and this is different through different points of privilege whether we're talking about the uh, racial hierarchies whether we're talking about the class privilege whether we're t- talking about that through no, through um through violent heteronormativity heteronormativity whether we're talking about that through notions of ability there's a way that this, this is i think once again when i say when i come back to the point of like well, if we could just get rid of hegemony, then this will, you know, <laughs> solve a lot of things really quickly. Like, I think that there's like, there's like that whole other point where um, when we talk about this, uh, this issue, when we talk about the, what the understanding that the, the, the step forward, the map forward, that is something that is ever changing, right? And I think if anything, like we think about like, okay, now there's Trayvon Martin, now, I'm also, you know, I've lived seven years of my life in Louisiana. So, you know, Alton Sterling was murdered 2.5 miles from my house where I was living, right? Right? So then we, we talk about this whole thing with, when we talk about with Alton Sterling, right? So there's also, but the thing is, we, but also we think about what about these, these, these black trans women that have been murdered, right? So it's like when we start really thinking about this and really thinking about sort of the state, what the, what the nature of the state sanctionhood that makes it okay for this to exist or rationalizes why one body is worthy and why another body is, is not worthy along these different lines, that presents a whole nother set of ethics that we're, that overlaying ethics that's always been, and that's at play. And I think that's the one powerful thing that I think that's what Black Lives Matter does, right? It doesn't say like, this is the set of ethics. It's like, no, this is, this is me. There's a different set of responsibilities that we're constantly trying to maneuver, right? And I think that's a really powerful thing that you, that you bring up, Victor, right? There's like this whole other series that we've got to like deal with, you know? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I was thinking about what Regan was saying and what you introduced. You were you were talking about education, mm-hmm. and I think that's definitely a central point. Actually, I mean, for anything, basically, we talk about education is going to be the answer mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. I think uh, definitely around what I see, I cannot speak for the states, but I have a feeling it's going to be similar. Most people are not... Uh, most people that oppose the movement or don't understand it or don't comprehend it are not are not being intellectually dishonest. That's my opinion. Yes, uh, they're just following. They're just following certain speakers they have who who usually are intellectually dishonest <laughs> and, and carrying everybody behind them and supporting and repeating arguments and repeating ideas that they're not completely clear where they come from or what they mean in in many cases. So against that. Uh, at the end of the day, it's propaganda, right? At, at, mm-hmm. uh, in front of that, uh, the first thing you have to do is educate. You no know? education that 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 leads us as a society. Educate people that leads us as a society to an awareness. Because it's easy to understand that if you are not somehow, if you're not born uh, black or like you were saying LGBTQ, uh, neurodiverse, that you don't understand you're not aware of the issues that affect this collective i think that's normal that's just humanity that's why through education we can 
spark this awareness that hopefully can lead us to empathy about the issue that hopefully can lead us to action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's kind of the way I see the, 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 the nice and, and natural process also, which I think it's important because otherwise we always end up with this plethora of like uh, what I was saying, you know, these mm-hmm. discussions on, on, on social networks where people are calling themselves names and they're just repeating arguments they heard somewhere, but there's no real dialogue. There's no real discussion. There's no listening, really. It's all repeating things. So we need to educate. We need to educate people around us. We need to talk to people, not lecturing them somehow, because uh, and, and guilty as charged, sometimes you see yourself lecturing people. And hell, you think about it, it's like, okay, well, you were trying to do something, but through this, using this tool, uh, what I'm getting is rejection from the other person. I'm not uh, educating, even though I might be trying, but I'm not educating. I'm just causing rejection. So, and I think it's a very natural thing also for the human being to, for all of us to complain about others, to put the blame on others, no matter who we are, no black, white, uh, whatever. That's kind of like a very human thing, I think. And I've, you see it around all the time. We like to complain about others. We like to put the blame on others. It's very hard to do uh, uh, um, uh, self-criticism all the time. No? And, and where do we put these complaints? Who do we find to blame? Usually we, we find people who are different, uh, minorities who are different, and, uh, and, and usually in weaker positions. So, well... Under this category fall, as we were saying, Reagan, not only Reagan and, 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 and Anas, uh, not, not only Black Lives Matter, but, you know, LGBTQ people, uh, the, the movement of feminism, it's very, very intertwined and in all this, I think, all these things happening around the world. And, uh, and th- that's basically, that was basically the point I was trying to make, actually. No, and I think it's, I think what you're, you're saying is, you know, the education is really, and what's been, you know, on the fringe, you know, I'm not on the opposite side of the world, but what's been really amazing, I think, in the George Floyd situation is, you know, we talk about Black Lives Matter, but it's not a black movement. It's a, a movement for everyone and white people and all, or everybody has to be on board for that to change, I feel yes. like. And so, um, and I think that's, you know that that whole verbiage. What is it that, that all lives matter? Well, <laughs> that's just. I mean, I don't. I don't want to sit there and comment. But the the reality is, if you think that that's the right thing to say, then you don't. You don't see the issues really, because all lives matter, of course, when Obviously. everybody is treated equally. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that I I watched it, I thought it was really wonderful because there was a, a rapper in America, I think it was a rapper, and he put a video online and he'd just bought a new car and he'd had um, like temporary licence plates on his car. So the police pulled him up to check that it was his car and stuff like that. And this guy was like, well, you know, I get pulled up by cops all the time. This is my normal thing, you know. And while he was waiting for the cops to check his uh, credentials and his purchase and everything like that, a white lady had stopped her car and was videoing the him in his car and the police and the interaction and everything. And he was, like, really confused. He's like, why are you here? And then he realised 
she was being an ally, right? She was filming it. And when he, the cop had finished and walked away, she sort of gave him, are you okay? Thumbs up. And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. And he was like, really like, I got an ally, you know, I've got an ally here in this thing. And so I feel like that is a, when, when other people of my skin color see that and act on it, not just, I can have an opinion, but unless I'm actually participating in this coalition. um, And I think, I mean, maybe, you know, you can uh, agree about how much or how, you know, people should be participating. But as a white person, for me, it's up for me to participate in that movement as well. Do you agree? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that there's something really, um, I mean, like, I think that there's one one of the things I always talk about with the, um, one of my one of my girlfriends. Uh, I'm going to shout her, Dr. Bonnie Wozolik. You know, um, one of the things that I think is beautiful that we have. I had her coming to one of my classes at another institution. One of the things that we were discussing is I think that there was a whole discussion. Of, there was an issue of like even pushing allyship further, right? Because it's like if you put your body, it's it's not because it's, it's like yeah, you can be an ally by like like have an opinion or like posting about it, but like, are you willing to like put your body on the line? Are you willing to like take the hand of a community whether it's literally? And like, and so there's like also, there's also a point where you have to push towards allyship and also push towards being an accomplice. You know, I think that's a much, I think there's a, I think that's a difficult thing, right? I think that there are a bunch of difficulties and this is not necessarily, this is not also, on my part, I want to make sure that this is not a discussion about authenticity, right? This is not an authenticity discussion, right? Because I think that there's, I think that there's got to be another point where we talk about like there's, it's also a certain point. It's a certain thing that's important. It's a value to really making sure that you're able to also that you also try to take somewhat care of yourself, right? So that you can be in the service of others, right? That's the case. If you want to continue. So this longevity and service to, uh, to others, there's also a point where you have to really think about like these points of self-care. And I, once again, you know, give it up to, you know, St. Lord, St. <laughs> Audrey Lord on that, right? They wrote, they, they wrote really beautifully and really wrote this really, uh, really important uh, treatise on self-care, right? And activism, right? So, I, I, you know, I think that, and I think that also just kind of rocking back with a few points uh, that you, that you, uh, that you, that you um, presented, um, Victor, which I think it's important to always ask the question about who, you know, if we talk of, or I think it's Victor and the, actually, all said it, I couldn't get it right. Um, but I think that there's, I think that we always have to process this larger uh, issue of like, there's the reflexive question, like, what is it going to mean for a person to really, uh, to, for people, for bodies to get free, for people to get free, for communities to get free? And that means a lot of different things, right? This is why I always throw the equity. That's why I always make sure the equity piece is in there and that people understand, like, make sure. I don't want to hear you say equality. I want you to hear you say equity because that means that you really need to deal. But, I mean, so, for instance, like, one of the things I'm always going to shout out is I'm always going to shout out Sister Pauli Murray, right, out of, you know, that was out of, you know, of course, out of uh, North Carolina, uh, she was born in Maryland or whatever, but she's one of perhaps uh, she is one of our most important uh, legal scholars, right? I think she's very. I, and I always make the argument. I said, like, understand, he really helped co-author that very important uh, legal brief, uh, Jane Crow, and title in Title Nine, right? 
And one thing that was really powerful about that, but well, just about Pauli Murray's life, but like, I think one of the things that could go on that was really powerful about thinking about somebody like Murray is that it is also a critique of her existence or her non-acknowledgement is really a discussion of how we think about sort of this infighting and what it is that Black Lives Matter gives us the possibility to do, right? Understand, Pauli Murray wrote, um, she wrote states' rights on race and color, and she wrote that in 1951. She wrote that three years, approximately three years, before the Brown versus Board of Education mandate, <laughs> making uh, separate but equal unconstitutional. She writes that, right, in 1951. And who is it that we necessarily sort of give the, give the credit to? We give it to sort of, we give it to Thurgood Marshall. But understand Thurgood Marshall read Pauli Murray in order to get, to really be able to have sort of legal teeth, to really have that conversation, really craft that mandate. Understand a black queer body, a black queer feminist body made that, <laughs> wrote that, gave that legal, so that legal, legal teeth of sorts, right? So I always want to make sure that I, I shout that out. And I think that's always important to really, once again, when we begin to think about sort of this history of the movement uh, and what it means to really think about like what it means for people to get free, understand, she, now going back to this legal brief she, she co-authors, like the Jane Crow, remember she says at the end of it all, because she writes this, they write this, what was it? It's Murray and Eastwood write this a year after the Civil Rights Bill was passed in 1964. Remember, she, but they say, what do they say? They say, remember, women's rights are civil rights or human rights. <laughs> right? So once again, we have to think about what does it mean to necessarily think about this notion of when we talk about ideas of human rights even how they were really talking about this deep radical coalition of sorts, but also understanding that in the process of even just thinking about like black folks getting free, varieties of, and communities of black folks getting free, the process of getting free is also one of many other bodies getting free in the process, you know? Mm. As, as you guys talk about education and human rights and the different, um, how it has affected each one of your communities and how it works around the world. Another thing that it comes to my mind when we speak about Black Lives Matter, and uh, I know it's important for the movement itself, and it's personally a very, it's an issue that touches me deeply. It's the sense of community. And I think when we speak about education, we often think of either like talking to your immediate others about the subject that you already kind of agreed. Like if I'm talking to my roommate, she knows what I think. So yes, maybe I can educate her a little bit more, but I think it is important to see community as a space where we can grow and where we can educate and to bring and make communities a little bit more diverse so we can have this kind of dialogues. And at the same time, I see us as a live entertainment uh, community or like we are a community and the number of times I've gone to a completely different city or a completely different country and I've been told hey you should call x y or z and they're my friend and they'll hook you up with something they'll help you out you can stay at their place that is a real sense of community so how or what is the role of live entertainment as a community with black lives matter and maybe backing up a little bit 
should we talk a little bit about the importance of community and building community within the Black Lives Matter movement? Obviously, art and live entertainment are very important. They're, they're, they're a part of the media, media ecosystem. Uh, there's a part of, I mean, there are spread uh, uh, industry that spread ideas that uh, but not only ideas that spread uh, uh, sensations that spread uh, experiences which is, it's even more powerful than an idea I think if you combine those things together it's just there's no stopping that so in that sense yes we, we, we do have a role and we do have a responsibility and, and for the most part I think mm, a lot of artists and entertainers all around the world have have taken up to the role. Yes, uh, very important role. I think uh, live and art and live entertainment have and will always have a role, and will always have to juggle that role. That I think it's a it's a native role of of, of these industries, and, and, and tied up with the money that moves these industries. No, because. Uh, Obviously, when you are working with whoever who sells 10,000 tickets a night or whatever, you have to be very careful about the message you launch and the, the, in, in what form you launch it. And oftentimes, the message gets, gets lost in the way in this environment. So I think that's kind of a, a challenge for for art and entertainment somehow the relationship with the with the the structures with i don't know how to call it the structures that produce shows the companies that produce shows where the money comes from because with money comes you know always some sort of responsibility some sort of interest so the artist the entertainer cannot go against that even though oftentimes we do <clears throat> somehow yeah. Do you want to weigh in on that, Reagan, in terms of entertainment and community and, and our role to play in this movement? I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I, love, I love this. I love this inquiry. And I love that we're having it very publicly, or it's going to be very public, right? Because I, I think, okay, this is the thing that I, I think we're all, I think it's very interesting that we're all, dealing with right i mean there's always that i always think about that line right i was talking i was talking uh on i was talking to you about it on the phone the other day and i was like you know people love the expressions of the culture but they don't love the people that create it they create it right there's always that point right that can really go a, a variety of different ways right of course, when I say that, you know, I'm always thinking about like, man, I mean, I think we love the we love the expressions of black queer culture, right? But we don't love black queer folk. Enough, right? uh, it happens so much and <laughs> it's so <laughs> right. So uh, it, it also happens with blues, with soul music, with uh, with yeah. hip hop, all of that. Yeah. Sorry, I'll let you continue. No, 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 no. This is what it's about, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> As I was telling Regan that day with that conversation, it's like, and it hurts so to, to a point is, I don't understand why people like tacos so much. They really don't <laughs> look, like it. Look, look, you love that. You love everything that comes. You love stuff that comes, like the idea of sustenance that comes from like people that are economically disadvantaged, right? You love all these things. It's like, it's so funny. Even when you're just thinking of it, like taking it in a food ways direction, right? I mean, it's like, 
you know, like I grew up eating these things, but I would not go pay, you know, $50 for a plate of chitlins, you know, you know, but I grew up eating, <laughs> eating that stuff, you know, and it's something, it's like really important. I'm not like, I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking eating or whatever, but I think that there's like, you look at that or just like these certain cuts or like these things or like, or eating kale, like all these things are looked at as like these chic, like food ways things. Right. But then it's like, but then it's like, you don't want to understand. First of all, that comes out, that comes out of like communities that are economically disadvantaged. Right. So they're like all these points and these expressions and the love of the, love of the culture right but you don't want to necessarily love the people right so i, I but i want to make sure that i come back to responsibility entertainment and i want to make sure because victor says this is how i do it now and one thing that i do is that i mean first and foremost before i went back in the classroom i was working musician and i mean i still am a working musician i don't want to say i am still working working musician but one of the things that i always say is like you know because my the music i do is you know is jack is jazz would be classified as jazz music you know a lot of different projects i've been involved with you know there's still this whole there's this other point where it's like i always walk in like a class I, I, one of the classes I've, I've taught in the past is a class on black music right and a lot of times people think that they're going to get like this linear progression of black music and i'm like no we, i want to i want you to understand as well right because there's something very, there's a very problematic colonial construct of sort of linear time and how, and we have to look at historically what that's done for how we think about how historical discourse, not only discourse, but the complexity of discourse around people, right? And I think that's a really important point that you bring up about the consumerism, right? There's something about like the way consumerism works and the linearity of time that makes it impossible and suppresses certain types, certain discourses, right? The complexity of the discourse, right? So one of the things I'm, so one of the conversations, what, well, I said, the question I always pose to the class is, what does it mean to play music in which the people that you look up as sort of these gods and creators couldn't walk in the front door? Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know? And that's like, and there's, and to me, there's always that point in just thinking about live entertainment, right? Where I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I want to make sure that I, re- that I, that I sort of clear that palette, right? I want to make sure that I'm resetting that and be like, look, I want you to remember at the end of the day, I think you may think it's, you think that John Coltrane's Alabama is so pretty and soothing or whatever, but remember, he played that in angst and the state sanctioned support of murdering those four young women in Alabama, right? Because remember, right? Remember, it was Birmingham, Alabama, Birmingham, right? And this is not a slam on the South or whatever, because I always rep the South. I always say that the South gives us sort of these ways of understanding the entire nation. And I would even say even from the global South, a place like Louisiana, it gives a whole different way of understanding these discourses, right? So it's very important that we always like shout. The South is a, a big important thing for me, right? In my work. But I always say like, okay, like y'all love John Coltrane's Alabama composition, Alabama, but remember he wrote that in response so this excuse, this state sanctioned excusing of the murder of four young black women in the Jackson Street Church. 
right? That was what that, that's where he wrote that, right? So there's something like when we also talk about live entertainment, we always need to make sure to understand, to put forth to people like, you need to understand where the social context of all of this is, right? Because there is a social context, right? And I think in many ways, like that gets us open to thinking about much art, right? So much of this, so much art that we love comes as really, is comes out of poor communities, right? I think that, so it's like always this, and it's like, I, I love this, like Victor, I love this thing that you're like rocking with, right? Because it's like, it makes us think, it makes you think like, well, I mean, like, what's the conundrum? Like, how is it that you're going to like charge all this money for people to be able to access this art, which in many ways was in their communities, right? What does it mean to necessarily create these, create, like, like the big thing I have, the issue I have in the U.S., right, and especially around live entertainment is there's sort of this subsidizing of smaller community venues. Right. Why isn't that a lot more of a widespread thing? Right. Versus like when we think about like a Lincoln Center or a Kennedy Center. Right. I'm not saying that that's, I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm talking about like I think there's a point, important point of equity. Right. And I think that's an important point that you're like rocking with. Victor, that I'm like always struggling with when I think about live entertainment. Right. <laughs> being a part of it or, or going in and being able to or being able to have sort of this economic uh, access to be able to just drop some bread and go in and see whoever, you know? Yeah, I understand. I always say there's, there's, uh, there's the music, and there's the, you know, I'm a musician as well, and I've worked as a musician for many, mm -hmm. many years now. I haven't done it for a while, mm -hmm. but still. Uh, I always say there is music, and then there's the music industry. <laughs> they're two different things. Yeah. And the music and the music cases, industry. They're, they're like separate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh say that again, yeah, bro, over and over. <laughs> I, I also see it as two things. Uh, on the one side is the message we convey as a community, but also looking into the community. I was reading today about uh, Metropolitan Opera and some complaints they've had because they, they have all these operas written by white people that portray people of color, but these people of color have been represented by, traditionally by white people. And then they go on and put costumes and makeup to be someone they're not. Right, so I think there's these two conversations that are very important. One is the message we convey outside and to the world. And then what do we do with our own industry and to ourselves, to our community? It's, I mean, it's, this, is a huge, this is a huge subject. And I think, you know, that, that spreads across live performance, um, the history of art, you know, like, uh, uh, and also, you know, we're talking about music and everybody. It, there's this been this dominance over over the, the you know, and and that's I think from a white person's perspective, it's there to undo all of that and then start to bring that diversity in. And like, and going back to your education point, Reagan, and I, I've decided I need to come to your classes because I think I'd learn a lot from you to bring people through from you know, you can't just turn around and give somebody my age you know, that director's position because they haven't had the, the access to what I may have had access throughout my life. So where does that begin? It has to begin with 
They need that opportunities when they're a child. They need that opportunities to learn to play. They need those opportunities to be the star performer in the school play. They need the opportunities to do try their hand at directing when they're a teenager. They need all of those foundational steps that generally some people of minorities have not had access to to be able to give them that role and that response like those those larger roles within a, within the arts institutions and so that for me is when i think about that it's such an overwhelming task you know and so you know how do you undo what you've got and and start to do that and and i i mean for for people of color I can't imagine the frustration, you know, tens, you know, two steps forward, ten steps back, two steps forward, you know, like it's just a frustrating concept. And so, um, you know, I, when you are aware of issues, what I want to do is just like shake the blanket and have it all fixed, you know, and it's just not that, it just can't be done like that. So I, I want to help and I, I also want to help, you know, one, by having these discussions but also like, start to put those foundations in in a in a in a sense that that we can we can make that shift and and um i mean how do you think from an, you guys from from your perspective internally we could work on those steps i mean so there are things that i'm always i'm always first of all i'm always making sure that i tie it back to the understanding part of what i'm part of what I, the major part, the the essential things that you love so much about, what you might under love so much about all of us, come from community. For me, it comes from community, right? So whether, and I'm thinking about, you know, like, you know, part of my, you know, while I might have done like two degrees in music or whatever, or existed very much in the institution, been institutionally trained, part of that, part of that is a very public discussion that I have about like a lot of this that you love so much of is because of my community right which that's a, a you know which that that community is a lot of things but remember that community is at, at the root is a, is a black is a very black community black under a very unapologetically uh black understanding and way of being in existence right I tell I mean I, t- I tell I tell people this I often tell classes I like I said like everything that you love about me is because of my because of my community, and anyways, it becomes a whole uh, becomes a whole way to kind of sort of extrapolate and really explain like these these are some very specific things that you know like either I learned in sort of uh, you know spiritual communities, black spiritual communities, or queer or black queer communities, or you know like it, the you know the list keeps on going on, right? So I'm very public about that discourse, right? Now, I think what's really interesting is there's like, you know, of course you have like, you know, I have these things I love. I mean, you got, there's also this funkiness that you deal with, right? When you start talking about this, because it's like, you know, sometimes home, sometimes our home is not necessarily where the love is, right? So sometimes acknowledging very publicly where those issues lie, you know? So, but I think when you sort, it's sort of through the act of doing that, that that's in a way I've found in situations where that makes it a situation being somebody that is hinged with the powers of the institution in some way. I need to make sure I would acknowledge these things of how I exist and make it very much a way that I'm able to uh, exist in a, a certain way in a very problem, problematic way in certain ways, right? 
because I've got the the hand of the institution in a way, right? But so there's a, a point of where um, when I talk, when I, so I undo these things, right? These things that you think maybe because I got a PhD, I clearly know all, know everything after my PhD, right? And a lot of things I don't know. I mean, I think if anything, the process of doing that taught me so much that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think the process of life is un- unknowing is unknowing. Yeah. You know, for the older me. you get, the more you realize you don't. <laughs> yeah, no, no, goddamn thing. You know what I'm saying? But so, so there's that. But then there's also there's also the whole part of how I also am like, hey, I think it's important that you understand that there are these certain ways of being, these certain pedagogies that didn't start in an ivory tower for you, right? There's these certain ways of being, right? And so a lot of the work, even when I talk about education, I'm not talking, I mean, like, I say education, but then even people that do education, depending on who they are, they would, if, they, if they're so tied to the, the ivory tower sort of notion, they would be like, oh, come on, you're not doing education. But I would say, no, I'm doing education, right? Because I'm, for me, is I'm always like curious about thinking about the complexity, understanding that people that come into a classroom, they represent a, a community a series of pedagogies, a way of being and existing, right? A way, pedagogies of joining, pedagogies of survival, right? And I think that's part of, when we talk about education, part of the thing that where the failure has been, the failure has been in sort of this, 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 um, this, this whole point of really the, the whitewashing of what is what is what counts as valid knowledge right the question is always that's always that's always the point what counts as valid knowledge whose knowledge is valuable knowledge right and what are sort of the political ramifications and undergirdings that undergird that when you talk about like knowledge or you say like or you say to or you say to uh you say to a black kid right that speaks in a black 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 vernacular or you talk to somebody or you talk to somebody that maybe has three or four different languages <laughs> already, three or four other, other different languages, but they speak with the accent that clearly there's something that you clearly are not, you know, you're clearly not very, uh, you're not very intellectual or whatever, right? Like there's a whole other series of things that we have to unfold, right? And that's the thing that I'm always trying to like, that's the thing I'm always trying to uh, work through a little, very directly when we, talk, when we talk about education and in these spaces. You know, like, what is it that you bring from your community? You know? Yeah, it's it's quite similar, not, I mean, similar but different in, in terms of um, in Australia we were not taught um, a lot about Aboriginal history, mm-hmm. which you think about the thousands of years of Aboriginal oh. heritage and our, like, mere blip of, of that, of white, you know, and uh, white uh, infiltration into the, into the country of Australia. And then we grow up with, with that ignorance, you know. And so um, if it's not part of that infiltration of the education system where you understand that as a community, an Australian community, we are made up of, yes, these white representation but also a longer history and like why would we be avoiding this beautiful history that we have that we should be so proud of not what we did to them when we came to the country and slaughtered them all you know like we didn't bring them as slaves we just killed them you know so like there's a sordid history there that Australia is trying to come to terms with uh, still to this day 
And uh, my auntie actually, she works for a university over there and she they're working to getting um, into the university systems in Australia. Every subject that you study, that you that there's some part of um, uh, Aboriginal curriculum in 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 your in your course, so you start to bring that into um, your education system. And and I th- I think those little foundations can be starting to plant seeds for a longer term change in culture, you know, and change in, in thoughts and stuff. And so for you, Victor, you know, is there certain things that are happening in the community like that in, in Spain in terms of, like, publicly addressing the changing culture of or in education, do you know? There's plenty of actions we can all do today that are easy and immediate for us to, to start any time. We can start declaring publicly that we are anti-racist, we can stop supporting entities or people who promote these behaviors and attitudes and who make this kind of speeches their way of communicating. You can also uh, register to vote. Voting is important. Voting is a, a very easy, quote-unquote, easy tool. We have to change the reality that's around us somehow. Uh, we can vote for candidates who make the fight for equality and against racism, racism a priority. We can uh, donate as our lives get busy and, and we don't have time to, to contribute ourselves to this cause. We can make a donation to a trusted organization that fights for equality and against systemic racism. Something I feel is also important, maybe having a conversation with friends or family members who are racially prejudiced or support politicians uh, with racist agendas. Uh, I think it's important to to, to underline the word conversation and try to really have a conversation, a dialogue, not a conference, as as sometimes these kind of conversations tend to end up being. We can protest safely and peacefully for this and and other causes that we might think worth supporting. Uh, There's a number of things we can start doing right now, but might take some time to crystallize into tangible results. We can read, watch, and listen to resources on systemic racism, uh, libraries, internet, podcasts. Information is everywhere. Studies. Information is everywhere. We just have to reach out and, and and find it. We can take the time to examine past moments when we did not do our best to denounce racist words or actions. We can do a little soul searching to try and locate the things inside us that trigger racist thoughts or stereotypes. Start working to eradicate them from your unconscious thoughts and start realizing that oftentimes the kind of attitudes and and behaviors stem from very unconscious reactions to these things. For non-black people, you can look more closely to identify the ways in which the color of your skin affords you experiences, big or small, whatever kind of experiences you might have in your life that others cannot experience based on the color of their skin. This doesn't mean that your life isn't hard. It just means that the color of your skin isn't the thing making it that way. And last but not least, uh, and I, I tend to bring up this in mostly all kinds of contexts because it's something that I, I believe it can change uh, our perception and, and our awareness of things. And this is what we're ultimately talking about. 
And uh, so I recommend meditation. Meditation is a great mind tool to to gain focus, awareness, and being able to identify and see the world around us uh, a little bit more objectively. Our task ultimately must be to transform fear, hatred, and other negative emotions into awareness and empathy, compassion that drives us to action. So again, Victor, you had a series of suggestions or ideas on how we could, as individuals, help each other <laughs> and help ourselves as well <laughs> to be to learn more and to read more. And and you had, I thought it was very. I like the idea how you portray it on the articles. What we can do right now to better ourselves, and then what we can do that might not have an imp impact just now, but it would be good on the mid or long term. Do you want to talk about it? In the article I was mentioning, it was kind of like not very, so much related to the issue. And, and as I was reading the article, I realized, but I always bring it up because I think it's a, it's an incredible tool that I, that I use. Uh, uh, meditation in this path to awareness is a tool that's amazing. And, uh, And there's actually a lot of science behind it by now. So it's not a matter of beliefs. I, and I'm not talking about beliefs. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking talking about meditation. Meditation is a, a mind technique. It's a very, I would say, it's it's a, it's a, the center of, of of this work of awareness, and it helps a lot. So that's something that I recommend pretty much in any case, also in this one. Yeah, start meditating as often as your busy lives allow you to, please. That helps all of us. I think that's a great list. <laughs> Reagan, you got anything to add to that? I mean, well, first of all, I mean, just, I mean, beautiful. I mean, like, you know, Victor, I'm going to, like, connect over with thinking about, like, I mean, you know, as I was checking, I was listening to one brother, and what is it? He said, like, Basically, he's saying, like, he says, you know, empathy has a shelf life, but compassion is forever, right? So I think that there's something, like, that you're saying that, like, first of all, um, understanding, first and foremost, the, his the history, but also just the, the history of, like, how these are spiritual movements, right? And I'm not talking about, and whether we talk, and I'm not talking about what other nomenclature you use to subscribe to or whatever, But just understanding that these are spiritual movements, and so they require that other part. They, under, they require that whole uh, point of the spirit, right? And I really love that you brought that up, Victor, because, like, historically, we look at this, and it's like, man, like, these people, I mean, when you talk about, like, hope, like, black hope is some radical, right? I mean, like, when you say black hope, you're I mean, because when black people talk about hope, Like, if you talk about black hope, like, it's really a situation of being like, well, I mean, I'm not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a guarantee that it's going to happen the next day or whatever, but I got to stay, stay, stay engaged, right? And that's something that's very, that's very specific and very, uh, a very much a part of thinking about like this black radical hope, right? It's the responsibility to just stay engaged and keep on going. And I mean, it looks, you know what I'm saying? Like black hope in a sense, like we look at it, we look at it like enacted 
it looks like you know John Lewis walking across Edmund Pettus Bridge, right? And they, and then, and then he's like, well, and like, well, along with everybody else in that that community, it's like we're going to, you know, already we're going to get our heads bashed in or whatever, but we got to stay engaged, right? So there's a whole point of understanding that the importance of engagement. But I think that there's also a point to like thinking about like how there's always the question for me is, and this is something I've really tried to think about even further, whatever movement I go into, right? So whether I'm, you know, going to, uh, you know, being solid, just thinking about the, thinking about what solidarity is and what that means for every, every movement or whatever. So it's like, if even if I, so if I show up, you know, to walk and to march and sit with, sit with my sisters or whatever, or to, to, to sit with my trans community, right? Then what that means is that I need to be asking the question always of what does it necessarily, first of all, thinking about what, who the constituency is and what does it necessarily mean to serve the constituency, right? So there's a point where I try to be, I try to be so much better about showing up and being, and saying to somebody or being like, trying to be clear of what is it that I am needed for, right? Because what you think that you might be bringing or you are needed for is not always what is needed, right? And this is an attempt to uh, try to reduce harm, reduce the harm that we do, right? So a lot of things, so it's like, (laughs) I say it all, I I say this all the time. I'm like, look, if you show up and they need, and you you know, you need, and they're like, you know, maybe you're, you're, we're thinking about, um, you know, like where I used to live in upstate New York, it was really a lot of, you know, it was a lot of labor labor work that was being going on, right? You show up to some a situation like this, anything, and you're thinking about the constituency that you're trying to serve. You gotta, you know, they say like, hey, we need you to pack sandwiches, right? <laughs> you do, and so you think about like what it means to really, you know, serve the constituency. And I think that that's, uh, that's the other part that I would, you know, add to what Victor said. I'd just like to say thank you, gentlemen, for enlightening us today and uh, sharing your 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 thoughts uh, on this movement and also your own personal experiences. I really appreciate it. It's been great, actually, to share a while with uh, people from such diverse parts of the world and having such a nice and constructive and hopefully a little bit relevant conversation. It was fun. It was fun. It was fun. Thank you very much. Um, well, I... I want to thank you guys for jumping on board with this conversation and uh, sharing all this with us. There will be some links posted on the notes to the article, to the Black Lives Movement, uh, Black Lives Matter Movement uh, website. And um, I guess if people have some questions or want to uh, be part of this conversation, whether it's with us or with someone else, um, so they can feel free to do so and reach out to us or to whoever they they think this conversation is going to be helpful yeah like man like blessings to y'all like blessings and close to all y'all like thank y'all so much i mean um like thank y'all for offering me sort of that that, that's you know that spiritual space and that that space of peace to have these conversations so beautiful to be connected to y'all thank y'all Please write a review on our podcast whenever you listen to our podcast. Let your friends know about us. 
You can learn more about Theatre Art Life by visiting our website at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on social media and leave your questions or comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, or YouTube. We really want to thank David Zaya for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Sharotta, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world.